Good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, my fine friends. Welcome to the 11th episode of Season 6 of the Tom Petty Project Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Brown. This is the weekly podcast that digs into the entire Tom Petty catalogue, song by song, album by album, and includes conversations with musicians, fans, and people connected with Tom along the way. Uh, before we dig into this week's song, I wanted to shout out a couple people who've been in touch on social media in the past week. First off, the ever-insightful and utterly wonderful Pete Nestor from the Honest and Unmerciful Record Review podcast made a great observation um, from last week's episode about the line, Hey Spike, what do you like? And so I'd always kind of ascribed that to the good old boy who's giving Spike a hard time, you know, questioning any manner of his preferences. But Pete brought up a really interesting narrative potential and that it could be the bartender hollering that out. You know, and this would sort of flip the narrative on its head that Spike isn't the name of the protagonist. So that new dimension has me thinking in full colour, full 3D about this song in another new way. Um, It's a tale that you can dive really deeply into and still not necessarily reach its full depth. So as Pete also points out, this is in one of Tom's more seemingly, you know, jokey or sort of frivolous songs, yet it still slots effortlessly into the Southern Accent's original concept. And I quote, Even in Tom's slight compositions, he often had a higher purpose, and tying this one more directly into the, in brackets, somewhat truncated concept of the album, I can appreciate this beloved song even more. So it's nice to be able to prompt people to think about a song like Spike in a way that maybe they hadn't before, especially an excellent musically like Pete, who's a superb podcaster and music analyst himself. Yeah, the song's fun, it's quirky, but that masterful way Tom had of crafting his lyrics in such a way as to leave all of this open to our imagination makes it a really fun sandbox to kick around in. Another song that will be a brilliant candidate for a short film or an episode in the Tom Petty extended universe. Maybe Spike is working on something big. Who knows? And then I thought I'd answer a question that my pal Daniel Roberts had. He wondered which album I'm going to be heading into next for season seven and whether I'd be diving straight into Let Me Up I've Had Enough or whether I'd be covering Pack Up the Plantation first. So here's the thing. When I had the idea for this podcast, I wasn't nearly the diehard pettyhead that I've since become. A combination of learning so much about Tom and developing, you know, a much deeper appreciation for his work, combined with engaging one of the best fan bases in rock and roll, has really made me a much, much bigger fan, to the point that the Heartbreakers are now in that very top tier of bands for me, along with my all-time untouchables like The Beatles and Queen. But I digress. My original plan was to cover the 16 Heartbreakers and solo studio albums in sequence. And because I didn't even know about Pack Up the Plantation or Playback or An American Treasure or Live Anthology, you see where I'm going. So I'm sticking, at least initially, to that plan. After that, I'm going to go back and do all the B-sides and unreleased tracks in sequence. Uh, You know, and so that'll be a lot of the stuff off Playback and American Treasure. And I also want to go and cover the two Mudcrutch albums and the two Wilburys albums. And thrown in between these somewhere, I do also want to cover select live songs. You know, some that are great versions of studio songs and some that are live only, like all the great covers that the Heartbreakers did. And I'm also hoping that my co-host John Paulson and I will cover the live albums and all the box sets at some point, sort of in their entirety, and go through them as packages of songs, you know, in some sort of order. All this to say that I don't really see an end point for this project for at least six or seven more years. So if you stick with me till the end, maybe I'll buy you a beer. But you know what? You'll have to come to Saskatoon to collect. Okay, that's enough of that. Today's episode covers the third song from the second side of Southern Accents, the enigmatically wonderful Dogs on the Run. (laughs) 
Dogs on the Run is really the, or in my mind at least, the fourth track that you suspect survived from the original Southern Accents concept. Rebels, Southern Accents, Spike, and Dogs on the Run uh, all feel connected by sort of a sonic thread that sits slightly outside the dynamics of each of those four tracks, but still sort of ties them together somehow. In its nostalgic wistfulness, it shares part of its soul with Southern Accents. In terms of tempo and general feel, it shares its skin and bones with Rebels. And in terms of its narrative form, it dovetails with the preceding spike nicely. And yet, it still rings with a sort of Kerouac-infused wanderlust that never lets you settle into one snapshot of one place or one time. And in that way, it almost feels like a little of the aching restlessness of Straight Into Darkness has bled over into this album and found a home in the soul of this song. I'm definitely going to touch base with Paul Zolo at some point, ask about the conversations he had with Tom about this album, because like some of the other songs on uh, Southern Accents, not much ink was spilled talking about this song in conversations with Tom Petty. It's the only track from the album co-written with Mike Campbell, and when Paul asks about this collaboration, Tom simply says, I think he had some of the chords and I wrote some of the chords. Of course, it would be difficult, you know, so many years after the fact to be able to remember details about every single song and the circumstances under which Southern Accents was written and recorded would certainly make recollection probably a little bit more difficult. But Tom goes on to say, I liked it a lot, not one of our more well-known songs. And I think this is likely true, but I suspect that it still would rank fairly highly among deep cuts with the hardcore fans. It's only really been played live to any degree on the Southern Accents tour with a couple of outings in 2014, 2015 as well. And I don't know if a really good live recording of this one exists, as it's never been on an official release, and I couldn't really find one online. I found a couple of, you know, live off people's camera phones and those kind of things, but the audio on those is never really all that good. So it would be great to, you know, hear one day something got dug out from one of the archives somewhere, a live cut of this one. So Dogs on the Run opens with a very similar feel to Rebels, um, yet it's got that beautiful organ-drenched background color that gives it a degree of separation from the other song. Where the staccato chop of Mike's guitar on Rebels has a sharp edge to it, here it's much warmer and feels more like that sort of setting sun in July. The A-E-A-D chord progression on guitar sits underneath Benmont playing a straight descending broken A chord, starting at the fifth. So the notes are E, D-flat, A-E, over and over and over. So those four notes over and over. And as the chords change to E and to D, those same notes then become suspended in those different chords in different ways. Another simple but really effective songwriting trick and one that sounds absolutely beautiful over top of that final D chord. I don't really remember Benmont playing that type of static arpeggio on his song before, but I'll have to cast my mind back at some point to see if I'm right about that. So the opening note of the whole song is accompanied by a big kick drum, crash cymbal hit too, and Howie pounding on that low A on the bass. Stan then backs off along with Howie to give that interwoven organ and guitar line centre stage. Howie then plays like a very Ron Blair-esque lick into the second four bars of his eight-bar intro, and Stan's just keeping time in the hats and a you know very reverb-heavy side stick clack on the snare. So this sparse arrangement with the, the palm-muted chug of the rhythm guitar and that organ line continues until what I'm going to call the pre-chorus, because again, this song, to my mind, plays a little with form and song structure. Tom doesn't play any electric guitar on this one either, so it's Mike again adding those little accent fills here. I should say, actually, a six-string electric guitar. So it's Mike adding those little accent fills here and there. And the second eight bars of the first verse, Stan then starts to add in some kick drum and a couple of tom hits, which starts to build the song a little into that main riff. So at this point, I'll cut back and I'll talk about song structure again. I'd call those first four lines, you know, between well, we come with what was on our backs through to when we laid our blankets on the ground, I'll call that the verse. And from, well, I woke up cold and hungry to dog on the run, 
I'd kind of say that that is the pre-course. And then the EDED, so that's the, the fifth, fourth, fifth, fourth chord progression with Mike's lick. That lick over the top of it. That's really where the chorus would usually be in my mind. So I think that that's sort of an instrumental chorus. That's how I, that's how I sort of think of that. So the song has three sections to that verse, pre-chorus, chorus. Or you could even think of them actually really as just three verses with no chorus at all. That does change toward the end of the song, though. And in this chorus section, there's now a double-time tambourine keeping time. Uh, and according to the album liner notes, that tambourine is being played by percussionist Bobby Hall, who played on tracks by artists ranging from Pink Floyd to Jerry Garcia, from Stevie Nicks to the Doobie Brothers. You know, and this tambourine persists then throughout the rest of the song. And trust me, to keep time that well, at double time for that long on percussion on a tambourine is a lot harder than it might sound. And maybe that's why they brought in an expert. Or perhaps he was just one of the many people who were around at the time and ended up playing on this album or just hanging out while it was being recorded. The vocal line leading into the second verse is one of my favorites on the whole album. I fell overboard. It's a wonderful four-note descending run that matches the words that it's framing. The notes fall overboard, but they do so gently. You don't feel like this is someone falling into cold water. Again, you have more of a sense of sort of the Florida Keys, and the rest of this verse goes further into this visual with and washed upon the beach. Again, though, the way this is presented, it doesn't sound like a sort of a perilous near-death type of thing or a drowning, but it's almost sort of a giving into the world, a letting go of something, or a release that isn't fatalistic or negative, but almost euphoric. And the second verse builds up all those interplaying notes between the guitar parts to sort of build this sense of euphoria with Tom adding that 12-string guitar, which is mixed really low. And we also get some really cool, crystal clear licks from Mike. If you listen to the lead into the line, some of us are different, and through that line and it's just something in our blood, there's a really, really cool guitar tone. And he's playing some sort of little little bends, little slides up the, up the from, you know, one, two, I think it's probably going up to going up two or three tones. So it's just very, very cool little licks. Um, the second verse pre-chorus then ends on the title line, it's just dogs on the run. So first verse we had dog on the run, now we're getting the dogs on the run, before leading into a very typical, tasty, but not face-melting Mike Campbell solo. Now, there's also a second part in this solo, and I think that that might actually be Tom on the 12-string. Not 100% sure, because the mix on this one isn't as separated into the left and right channels. It's a lot more central, so it's a little bit harder to pick those out and tease them apart. You know, and it could be Mike double-tracking that part too. I'm not, I'm not too sure. We then get the chorus progression, which leads back up into the last verse, where we get a little more sonic breathing space before Tom builds us frenetically back into full swing with that fantastic belted line, yes, yeah, you would laugh. <laughs> Okay, folks, it's time for some petty trivia. I don't know why I said it like that. I think I was just getting a bit bored saying it the way I always say it, but anyways, there you go. Um, your question from last week was this. The Heartbreakers performed a killer live version of Spike for Farm Aid 2 in 1986. The event was held at Manor Downs, Texas, but the Heartbreakers set, along with those of the Grateful Dead and Bob Dylan, were broadcast via satellite from which city? Was it A, Gainesville, Florida? B, Buffalo, New York? C, San Diego, California, or D, Kansas City, Missouri. We didn't get a ton of votes on this one on the Twitter poll, but again, it was really spread out. 20% um, of the votes went each to Gainesville and San Diego, and 30% went to each of Buffalo and Kansas City. And what I love is that at JCB2010 on Twitter basically gave everyone the answer right after I posted it because he was in the crowd that day in 
Buffalo, New York. I also have to shout out the peerlessly hilarious Will Porteous, who runs Wildflower Records in Norfolk, UK. He commented simply, bloody hell, this is hard. And when I said that this week's question would be an easy one, um, he asked if it would be name the front man of Tom Petty and the Heartbreakers. Well, Will, I can't really make it that easy. You know that, mate. Uh, but this one should be a gimme for y'all. So your question for this week is this. And if you've listened to the episodes in this season so far, seriously, this one's a home run. Who is the first person besides Tom and Mike to receive a writing credit on a Heartbreakers studio release? Is it A, Ben Montanch, B, Jimmy Iovine, C, Tom Ledden, or D, Dave Stewart? The last verse is really the coup de grace in the song for me because it includes a superb line. She said, honey, ain't it funny how a crowd gathers around anyone living life without a net? And, you know, it's just a brilliant little sort of nugget of philosophy sitting in there as piece of, a piece of narrative, and it's someone saying that to the protagonist of the song. That big drop in volume with the organ sitting in that upper register, Tom then belting us into the second half of the verse, and the conversational talk singing that we sort of heard a little bit in Spike. Uh, the build out into the last chorus chord progression has Tom repeating that refrain, it's just dogs on the run, and riffing around it to make this section now a full chorus. So as I said before, the chorus, I think, for the first two verses really is sort of that instrumental piece, but now we actually get him singing it's just dogs on the run over the top of that, that, uh, that progression. And I've talked lots about how good Tom was at writing songs economically and making effortless use of few words, few chord changes, sparse instrumentation, etc., but that's not the case on most of this album you know, Southern accents apart, uh, aside, maybe. Um, this track, though, blends the two approaches. It's a very simple chord progression. The song doesn't really have a middle eight to speak of, and sonically, it doesn't move much away from how it builds up um, after that first verse. Yet, it's pretty densely packed with lyrics, some of them conjuring evocative imagery like, you know, well, we come with what was on our backs. Yeah, when the leaves had died and all turned black. And for me, the visual is the idea of sort of almost an, an itinerant pleasure seeker going where the wind takes them with little regard for planning out their next steps. I suppose if you were of a mind, you could also infer a bleaker sort of Steinbeck-flavoured exodus across the country, never knowing where your next bed is going to be. But the warmth of the guitars and that glorious organ tone just put a much more positive spin on it in my head. Also, that line I quoted about people living life without a net speaks more to me of, uh, you know, a carefree youth than of weary travellers. Again, that's just me, though. It could, it could be different for you. We move from there to very specific images, though. Falling overboard, washing up on the beach, you know, followed by a dreamlike vision of being helped to the home of a young bleached blonde uh, from which the rest of the narrative plays out. So, is this song rooted firmly in Southern commentary or character study? I don't think it is specifically, yet, as I've said, Tom manages to make it fit with those other three songs, and they comprise what I think probably would have been the main thematic points of the original concept. Not everything about the South has a negative connotation for Tom, and this song's strange mantra, Dogs on the Run, weaves a much more casual hedonistic thread through this oral tapestry for me. And when you tie in songs like Trailer and The Apartment Song, which we'll talk about later, you definitely start to see more of a sort of a varied collage of snapshots of Southern life than you do with the track listing that the album ended up with and sort of the unrelated pop songs that invaded it. <laughs> Thank you. 
Okay, Pettyheads, that's all for this week. I could make an argument that this might be the closest Tom ever came to sounding like Springsteen. Even though they were contemporaries and shared similarities in some of their songwriting styles, there's always a marked tonal difference between the two men to my ear, even when they're writing about similar themes. But you could easily hear the E Street Band ripping into this one and Springsteen, neck muscles bulging, belting out the words. Would have been different, but I bet it would have been cool to hear too. As it is, I love the way that Tom leans really heavily into his drawl, you know, to the absolute extreme um, in places, and then backs it off and becomes almost nostalgic and given to sort of, you know, it's almost like a literary ethos on that line, I fell overboard and washed up on the beach. It's an artist in full control over his vocal ability and pulling out all the stops when he needs to to drive a great song forward. Overall, Dogs on the Run is probably an underappreciated little gem on this album, but it's such a brilliant track to have at the midpoint position on side two of the album. Although it also would have served as a great album closer, I think, and I'm sure John Paulson and I will get into this in a big way, as I've mentioned before, when we do the album wrap. It's another song that in most people's catalogues would be a highlight, and it suffers only from being surrounded by diamonds that sparkle even more brightly. There is enough in this song, though, for me to love that, again, I'm going to give it a rock-solid 7 out of 10. You know, it sort of, it lacks the pure outrageous charm of Spike, it doesn't have the blistering frankness of Rebels, or the heart-wrenching beauty of Southern Accents, but it's still a bloody brilliant song to sing along with and tap your foot to. Please remember that you can support humanitarian efforts in Ukraine in many different ways, and I would urge you to do so, or continue to do so, if you have the means. As always, that link to the Red Cross donation page is in the episode notes, so go click on that and you'll find all the information you need there about how you can, uh, how you can support the people of Ukraine. The Tom Petty Project is a proud member of the Deep Dive Podcast Network. Also, very recently, my other podcast, Seaside Pod Review, a Queen podcast, is now a member of that network too. So go check out all the shows on the network on Twitter at Deep Dive Podnet because I'm sure you'll find something there that you like. Again, they're fantastic people. They've been very supportive to me and what I'm doing with all my projects. So please go check them out and give them a follow or a like if you like one of the bands that they're covering. Don't forget to follow me on Facebook and Instagram at The Tom Petty Project and on Twitter at Tom Petty Project. And of course, you can go find me on YouTube at The Tom Petty Project. So again, follow, like, subscribe, leave ratings, leave reviews. Please tell people about the podcast. That's the best way we get the word out there is word of mouth. Um, and come and talk to me on social media. I love our interactions, as I always say. Um, the Tom Petty Project, of course, is not affiliated with the Tom Petty Estate in any way. And when you're looking for Tom's music, please visit the official YouTube channel. Go to Spotify, Amazon Music, you know, Amazon Prime Music, whatever the hell it's called. Um, Spotify, uh, Apple, all those different places. Go get it legally, folks. Um, and don't forget to check out um, TomPetty.com for official merchandise. Look, if you're not a member already of the Tom Petty Nation and Tom Petty Fans Forever groups on Facebook, go join those groups. They're excellent fan communities and they are well worth your time. And there are lots of really, really nice people there who I've met and I'm in constant touch with. Until we meet again next week, keep listening to and sharing Tom's music. Try to be kind. Try to say I love you to someone at least once a day. Stay safe and healthy, and I'll be back with you next week to talk about the penultimate song on this season's album, Mary's New Car. Bye-bye. <laughs>